You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Here we are the day, the week after Resurrection Sunday. I want you for a moment, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. One of the most epic things you've ever experienced is this man that you've been following for three years resurrected out of the grave like he said he would do but here's the problem now the problem arises is that every one of his disciples doubted him they lived in fear for three days how do you rectify this now it's like jesus hey i was i was just kidding i was just kidding i really believed i really did Through scripture, we can kind of surmise that Jesus had some encounters with Peter. And I can't imagine what that would have been like. Because Peter doubted him, denied him. Jesus told him he was going to do it. Just imagine for a moment what Peter must have felt like. Like, I love this man. So, what I believe and want to pose to you today in this thought of what's next, Resurrection Sunday, what's next? Because the church in general today, and, and, and if you're in Ukraine, our friends in Ukraine, they're celebrating their Easter today, and we, we kind of have this big party, right, on Easter. We go all out, we budget big things, and then it's the next Sunday and it's the least attended service. Because we did it. Like, we, we went to church last week. I mean, we're good, right? Like, we, that was a big thing. I mean, I, staff's burned out. People are tired. And, and it's like, well, what? But Jesus is still resurrected. So, so, to me, so, to me, there is this what's next atmosphere of the church. So, Jesus is speaking to Peter. And it's interesting because I think about Peter and Jesus knew that Peter had something special on him. Yeah, yeah, I know John. John said he's the best, you know. But, but Peter, Jesus acknowledged Peter. And let me just say this. You usually correct the person you have the, the most interest in, right? You, you, if, if, if someone doesn't really have any of that DNA that you think could lead something, you like, kind of let them, eh, that's cute. But somebody that you believe really has more in them than what we're seeing, you lay into a little bit. I, I think that's what Jesus was doing with Peter the whole time, is he knew Peter had more in him than Peter really knew. And so there's this manifested resurrected Jesus walking around and, and we have, we have stories about him. It's interesting because in the book of John, it, 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 it talks, it says this in verse, in chapter 20, it kind of puts an ending to it. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Bam. Great ending. John should have just ended it right there. But then John wrote chapter 21. And the whole chapter is dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. And this is what I want to pose to you today. That it wasn't so much Jesus doing things, it was Jesus healing things. Because Jesus knew if I leave my disciples in the state they are now, there would be a messed up church that they would create. Let me, let me say this, because here's the deal. What did Peter and the disciples hate the most at this moment? Reality is they hated the church. Because it was the church that crucified Jesus. 
So how can you build a church that you're angry at? How can you come and raise up this love for a people that are the very ones that crucified the Savior? So Jesus, I believe, for 40 days spent time looking at his disciples in the eye and saying, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? It says that, that, that Jesus did these things almost to kind of mess with them, to heal them and transform their mind. He, listen, Jesus shows up on, you can read this in John 21. He shows up on, on, the, on the shore of Galilee um, and, and, and he, he sees them. They see him in there. And I guess Jesus looked different because he was resurrected now. So they kind of saw him, but they didn't realize if it was him. And he's like, hey, did you catch anything? And they're like, we didn't catch nothing. Now, that alone would have been a miracle, not to catch anything. These are trained fishermen, right? So they had their nets over, caught nothing. So Jesus, in the audacity of Jesus, telling fishermen what to do, he says, why don't you throw your net on the other side? Literally seven and a half feet difference. Let's take the, all right, here we go, dude. I don't know what you want. And their nets were so full, they began to break. Seven and a half, fat, seven and a half feet difference. The width of a boat. And now they can't even haul the fish in. They come along shore. And at this point, Peter sees him from afar and says, oh, that's Jesus swims to him. Jesus is frying up a filet. He's got, he's got a salmon right there. We got little capers on it. He's doing it up. A little olive oil. He's got, he's got it all ready to go. Jesus didn't need their fish. Listen to me. Jesus didn't need their fish to cook for them. He wanted their obedience. See, today I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to our heart, which is the church. And Leanne is going to read to you a scripture that we love. And many of you have read many times, but I want you for a moment to pause and stand to your feet, if you would, for the reading of the word. Amen. We're going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Amen. And when many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God, I thank you for this service today. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is already moving in the hearts of your people, God. So I just pray right now that you would continue to move in our hearts, God, and you would show us what it's like to be the Acts Church and what you want us to learn from the Acts Church, God. Let us have your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. So we just pray right now as we dive deeply into your word that you would speak to each one of us in the mighty name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a poem by Mavis Williams called The Perfect Church. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church. You'll spoil the atmosphere. <laughs> if you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, lest joining it, you'd mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then don't you ever dare to tread upon such holy ground. You'd be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists made of imperfect men, 
then let's cease looking for that church and love the church we're in. Of course, it's not a perfect church that's simple to discern, but you and I and all of us could cause the tides to turn. What fools we are to flee our post in that unfruitful search, to find at last where problems loom, God proudly builds his church. So let's keep working in our church until the resurrection. And then we will each join that church without an imperfection. The perfect church. I remember I heard a story recently about a man they found on an island. He had been living on this island by himself for years. Totally alone. And I think it was the Coast Guard, they found him. And they pull him aside and they say, listen, what have you been doing these three years? They say, well, I built three huts. Well, why do you have three huts? There's only one person here. He goes, well, that first one is where I live. He goes, okay, well, what's the second one? He said, that's my church. That's amazing. You have your own church. He said, what's the third one? He goes, that's the church I used to attend. <laughs> Even on an island, there's no perfect church. Why do I say this? Because the reality is, as many of us in this room have looked for a perfect church. And I want to tell you, we want to tell you today, mom and dad, we want to tell you that this is a perfect church. I want to tell you that, but I can't. I can't because even me find fault in the church. I'm going to go home and tell you how bad my message is. She did an amazing job. My part of it. Why? Because we are imperfect people trying to project a perfect God's message. It's, imp it's impossible. So what I want to talk to you today, buckle of the Bible belt people, is that what we're looking for could very well be a distraction to our power. Here, here's the deal. When the Acts church was birthed, it started with 120 people in the upper room. Now, these are the 120 of the OGs. These are the original ones. They were praying. They were loving Jesus. They were there. Now, out of that, Peter preaches an amazing message, and Scripture says 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. That means in one day, they grew by 3,000 people. Now, if you've served in anywhere in church, any part of your life, you know that is a hot mess. Just think about that for a moment. 120, we cool, we cool, we know each other's name. Now 3,000 people come in, you start going, oh boy, who's gonna take care of all these people? Now you gotta start working on your children's church policies, right, you gotta start thinking about security, because some of these 3,000 are a little sketchy. Like you gotta start building something, you gotta work on PA, because how are they gonna hear it in the back row? These things now naturally presented themselves, and people now had to step in. Now here's the problem, there were no church growth strategy plans. There were no seminars that Peter could bring his crew to. There were no books or DVDs huh, or even eight tracks to put in, to listen to a message on how to deal with tough people. They had to do it. They had no other option. And I want to pose to you this, that that is why there was a great move of God. Acts 5 says this, now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Let me pause for a moment. It says many signs and wonders were regular. Say regular. 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 That's why we won't stop praying for healing. I actually felt the Lord said every Sunday, we're going to start praying for things because I believe that we need to see a regular move of God. 
Now they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots and mats and that Peter might, just his shadow might fall on them and they would get healed. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Demon-possessed people had the right mind. Oh, it keeps going. Verse 17, look at this. Dun, 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 dun. But the high priest rose up. Here comes that church. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Jesus knew what was coming, and he knew, if I don't work on the heart of Peter, if I can't get through Andrew, if I don't work with John, these men will become bitter and angry, and that will be the DNA of the church. I have to create in them a part of healing, of inner healing, of forgiveness, of perseverance so that when tough times come the church gets stronger you'll never have a true acts 2 church now i know churches read this all the time i've read this so many times i've talked about it so many times and we're going church this is what we want but then it's like well how do we do it pastor what do we do well we're going to talk about this but i will say this i've seen the church excel when you have these ingredients in it Desperation, an encounter with the Lord, and here we go, persecution. Now, why do you got to throw that last one in there, Pastor Mark, persecution? We've been through 2020. That was enough. I didn't vote for this guy. That's enough. I did vote for this guy. That's enough. Whatever it is, however you look at this thing, you think of that as persecution. Meanwhile, the churches in persecuted nations are growing, excelling, and the revival is hitting them. Why? Because persecution very well may be the fertilizer that your seed needs to actually germinate and grow stronger. So if I put that in context, let me say this. You will never mature until you endure. You want to mature, you're going to have to go through manure. I added that one. I added that one. How do I know? I'll just just two scriptures. There's plenty of them, but Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That, that, that's not like, hey, great job, you're amazing. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the bickering. It's the, it, it's the, I don't agree with you, you don't agree with me. It's somebody saying something that bothers you, you go home and pray the Lord. The Lord says, because I want to work on you on that. It's that kind of sharpening. I don't know how many people make swords at home. If you do, I, I don't know what you're amazing. doing. If you do, you're amazing. Yeah, you're just making swords at home. But if you are, you put it in the heat, the red hot fire. It gets the steel malleable. And then you hit it. You're hitting it. You're sharpening it. You're rubbing. All these things make a sword what it is today. That's what he's saying. If you really want to be mature, you have to rub. Iron sharpens iron. 1 Corinthians 11. This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. And he's correcting them because they're gathering together to have communion and while they're having communion they'll eat together but what happens is the rich people get there early and they start eating all the food and the poor people go hungry and then they're bickering with one another Paul says hold up a second he says but in the following instructions I do not commend you because when you come together it's not for the better this church isn't working well but it's for the worst 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Why? For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. See, let me say this to you today. Persecution, your problems, the issues, the rubs, they can't stick to you if you're free of offense. If you are offense-free, the things that people say will bounce off of you. They won't stick. And that's what Jesus was trying to do with his disciples. I want you to be prepared for get what getting ready to happen. I want you to realize, I don't know if he told them this, because I don't know if you would tell them this. This would be a lot of weight. But like what you're getting ready to do will be a worldwide movement for the rest of history. And I can't have people walking around bitter, angry, unforgiven, judging. Condemning. I can't have that in the DNA of the church. So Peter, I got to work on you. John, come on. I know you keep calling me your best friend, but we got to work on all these things. Timothy, hey, man, you know, like, hey, let's let's do this. Thomas, stop doubting. That's good. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to talk, and I'm going to talk about cultures right now. Um, we're in a culture right? We're part of a culture and we're affected by our culture, whether we want to believe it or not. So the culture that's in the world we're affected by and the culture that's in the church we're affected by. And the goal is that you're more affected by the church culture than you are the world culture. Um, I have a little soon to be one year old Marcus. He'll be one on Thursday and I'm so sad and happy. But um, the other day, <laughs> he needs to get a job. Um, <laughs> Start contributing, Marcus. Um, I mean, a guy can walk. He can do a couple <laughs> steps. But he'll just sometimes randomly find my phone and grab it. And I notice he'll grab it and already flips it over and he starts doing one of these numbers. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah, I'm just like staring at him like, what? What? I bet, though, if you took that same phone, dropped it in the 1960s and gave it to a 60s baby, they'd pick that phone up and be like, what? And toss it, right? Why does Marcus do that? Because he's affected by the culture he's in. He's in a culture where everywhere he looks, we're all doing this. I didn't teach him that. It just came upon, he knew because of the culture he was set in, right? That's how it works for us. We don't wanna be affected by the culture out there, but we are because we're around it. So you have to be aware and we have to be on, on guard of the culture that we saturate ourselves in, right? The reason I saturate myself in this culture, right? I have a choice. We all have a choice. There's a reason why I come every Sunday. There's a reason why I go everywhere. I open my Bible. I listen to worship music because I know if I separate myself from the culture, I'll forget. I'll forget that he performs miracles. I'll forget that I have community. I'll forget that people love me. I'll forget. It's just who we are. We're no different than the Israelites. So we have to constantly get ourselves in a culture that's uplifting, that believes for miracles, that does what they say they're going to do, that is family, that's community. We need this. We're desperate for it. John, Mark talked about it in John 21, but how Jesus came, right? He's the hope for our culture, right? He's the hope for the future. And I love Jesus because he shifts cultures, right? He came up on this scene and what the disciples thought was death. He said, nope, it's life. I resurrected. I'm here. Don't worry. The things that we think are death in our life, nope. Jesus comes and he can bring back to life. Thank you, Jesus. The things we see lack, 
Jesus says, nope, I have plenty, right? The disciples are sitting there on the boat. There's no fish here. There's no fish. He's like, listen, it's just on the other side. There's plenty there. Go get it. And what I love, love, love about Jesus in this story is that he was sitting on an island making them breakfast. He's showing the hospitality piece, that family piece. That's so important that I think we just skip over, but it, it's so needed. He's, he's basically telling the disciples like, you're out there working. And I think the disciples were out there because they're just doing what they knew to do. Jesus, right? That's all I know to do is to go fishing. How many have been there? All, all I know to do is this. And so I feel like they were out there going, this is all I know to do. And God's saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what you need to do. Worry about me. I'll provide, right? That's easy for me, right? It's, it's already there. The fish are already there. I'll provide what I need for you. It is to come and have a meal with me. Come and sit in my presence. Come and spend time with me. I want to spend time with you. Do you know he's a God that wants to spend time with us? He actually enjoys us. He wants to be with us. And I've noticed that when I'm with Jesus, when I'm in his presence, when I'm tapping into him, my day changes, my attitude changes, my perspective changes. I feel like I can take on the world. Then when I'm not, everything kind of goes, I have an attitude. (laughs) Everything feels hopeless, you know. Get out of here. <laughs> you know what else Jesus does? does? He restores things. Because in that moment, as he was going, he's asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to profess or proclaim three times, almost to cover those three denials that he said. He, he wanted to restore Peter which is amazing. And at that last um, ask of Jesus, when he's like, do you love me? He almost got annoyed. It said in scripture, Peter was grieved. Like he's like, why doesn't this guy know that I love him? You know, he was almost frustrated. Been there. God asked me something so many, and I'm like, God, I will do it. Or I know, you know, but the Lord in that moment is working something. He's restoring. He was restoring what Peter professed out of his mouth. And he said, nope, it's no more a denial, but it's a proclamation of love, right? And God wants to do that in our lives. He wants to take things and restore them in moments. So cultures, we want to talk about the three cultures of Southview. We have three of them that we've come up with. And the first one is family. We're all about family. Obviously, we have 10 children, but it's more than just the natural family. It's the spiritual, godly family that we're after. And that's what they talk about in Acts 2. It says they had fellowship and the breaking of bread, which means they spent time together. They cared for one another. We want to be a church that actually spends time together and cares for one another. It also says that all who believe were together and had all things in common, which is a hot miracle right there, right? If we can all come together and have all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to anyone who had need. That right there blows my mind, right? Because that is not our culture at all, right? It's like... You know, I'm working, I'm providing for my family. If Joe doesn't have a job, why should I provide for Joe? Joe needs to get a job. I'm not going to sell my stuff so that Joe's needs are met. But that's what this is saying. It says they didn't care. And you want to know why? Because they actually believed and had confidence that Jesus, what he said he would do, he would do. God said, I'll provide your needs. I'll come through for you, right? So 
I'm confident I can sell everything I have because God's going to provide. I ain't worried about that. I'm not worried about that car I'm giving away. I'm not worried about that bonus that I bless somebody with because God's going to give it to me. I'm that confident that what his word says he will complete. Usually the lack, the reason why we're so stingy with the things that the Lord has given us is because we don't believe that he can actually do it again. That's right. We don't believe that he could provide that for us That's right. a second time, a third time. That's right. And so if I don't hold on to this, then who's going to provide for me? Right. And so if we really understood this family aspect, we would give regardless of Joe having a job or not. <laughs> Joe will get a job. Sometime. <laughs> they also broke bread and had communion, basically, in their homes, and they received food with glad and generous hearts. God is a happy God. Jesus is a happy Jesus. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to celebrate. He wants us to have parties and birthdays and all these things. He wants us to celebrate and enjoy one another. He wants us to have fun. So if you feel like it's all work and no play, no. He wants you to play. He wants you to have fun. He wants you to have a good time. But he also wants you to remember him. It says they broke bread together. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Jesus says, remember me and proclaim my death until I come. That's what they were doing in this moment. They were remembering. When they gather, they remember Jesus and what he did on the cross. When I remember Jesus and what, I, what he did on the cross, all of a sudden, my job doesn't matter. My kid's doing it. it. It doesn't matter. It brings perspective. Like, this is why I'm here. This is my mission. And this is what it's unto. So there was purpose in that. And then the last one is they had favor with all people. So the there was special t treatment within the big church, right? Not just Southview, but the church at large, right? There was a uh, special favor among the people. How many want favor with the Lord? Need it every day, right? I, I want God's favor to be upon us. And let me just say this to you today, because some of us may be going, well, listen, I, you know, I'm not really good at doing that. Like I'm an introvert and, and that's hard for me. It's hard for me to open up my heart, open up my house and, you know, do these things. But I would just say, start somewhere mm -hmm. like, like you probably don't know how much you need it until you actually walk in it. Then you realize, man, I've needed this. And sometimes we forget what we have in the body of Christ, especially if you've grown up in the church until you actually are away from it. Yeah. And I remember 2020, how many people reached out to us. We miss you guys. We miss the church. We miss the church. We miss the church. And I just thought, you know, sometimes the Lord has to allow us to get away from something to realize how important that thing is. And I don't want to get to that place. I don't want to take for granted the gathering that we have, the fellowship we have, the freedom that we have, yeah. and the diversity that's in this place. It's true. It's true. Amen. The second uh, value we believe in is the presence. We want to cultivate it, and we want it to be here. Otherwise, if it's not here, I don't want to be here. <laughs> so how do we do that? Through prayer. We are a praying people. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe prayer changes things, atmospheres. We need prayer. The church actually needs to do a better job at prayer, to be honest with you. We are a people that don't pray like we should, and we don't pray with the power and authority that God gave us. We learned about that last week. That Jesus came and gave us his power, and so that should be living in us. So we should be praying that if I'm going to believe this is going to be done, it will be done in the name of Jesus, right? Because his power lives in me. It lives in you, and through the power of prayer, everything that's going out, going on in our culture, we have the power to pray it to demolish in the name of Jesus, right? So let's be a church that girds prayer. When we have prayer nights, show up. 
show up. You don't have to get on a microphone and pray. You pray and you believe and we gather together. It says his presence is here when two or three are gathered, right? He's among them. I want to be in a place where Jesus is among me. The supernatural and natural, they believed in that. It said all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We're a church that believes in the supernatural and is natural. We might not see it now, but we're going to see. We've seen some things, right? But we want to believe for more things. We want to see the awe God. They said he is an awe-inspiring God. When's the last time you were like, oh, God, amazing, right? Who wants that every day? I want, I want to be like every day like, oh, God. And then I, there's, I can't stop writing all the great things that he's doing in our lives. We want that. Because how many believe he can do exceedingly? abundantly more than we could think or even ask. He could do more than I can even request. What the heck is that? That's amazing, right? Like there's things that I don't even know to ask and God's going to do more than that. And he's going to do more than that than you too. And then we believe in worship, obviously. Praising God. They were praising God then. We're praising God now. Let's never stop praising God. Amen. We want to be a church of worshipers. You might start out just standing there, right? Some of us just stand, some of us whatever. But let me tell you, push yourself. Because I know worship can be awkward. It's really the only place in society where we're holding our hands up, singing songs and swaying. We don't really do that anywhere else, right? So to come in, it's kind of awkward. Like, I'm not used to these movements, right? But you know what it does? It humbles us. It puts me in a, in a position like it's not about me and how I look. It's about him. So so push yourself a little bit. Like, you know, you might start off here and then maybe move up here and maybe here. And eventually you make a little jig on you. <laughs> and let me tell you, when you start moving your body, sometimes you can't hold it back. <laughs> and that's when it gets fun. <laughs> so I, I release you. If you want to come up here and dance, you get your dance yeah. on and come up here. OK, because <laughs> we're a church that are of worshipers. And the last one is equipping. We want to be a church that's equipped. How many know now more than ever, we need to be an equipping church that knows the word and knows what it stands for. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. This is what the Acts church did. They devoted, they made sure they were listening to the teachings. We need to be a people that are listening to the teachings that are in the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, because guess what? There's a, a doctrine, a message, I don't know what you want to call it, out there. And it's coming strong. And it sounds just about right. It sounds pretty good. It's like, oh, that, that might be right. But it's not rooted in scripture. It has a little bit of scripture, right? God helps those that help themselves. And, but, uh, you know, that's not a scripture. So if you thought that was, it's not. But if you were rooted in the word, you know, uh-uh-uh. I smell a fish, what is it, right? We need to be those people that are like, no, 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 because there's people out there that don't know and they're being lured away and they're like, it sounds good though, it sound, it's such a positive message and it's, and it's so loving and great, but it's leading to death. And so we as a church need to be like, no, 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 here's the truth and they shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free, amen? They met day by day and in the temple together, which means they just didn't meet here on a Sunday. 
It wasn't a Sunday morning thing. It was every single day. And they added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved, which means it was an evangelistic culture. They evangelized. They went out there. They, they gathered them in. When was the last time we, we gathered somebody into the house of God, said, you need to get your butt in church. <laughs> you know what you need? You need Jesus. Let, come with me, you know? Or go out there and not necessarily bring them in, but take Jesus to them and say, listen, you know what you need? You need Jesus. We need to be more evangelistic. Now is the time. Now is the time. We're living in an era where we, it, it, it's, it's, the enemy's ramping up. It's almost getting overwhelming, to be honest. But the church can rise up, and the church can take dominion and power and their rightful place in the world, and we could be the ones leading the tide. Because this is actually normal Christian life. Everything listed up there, this is normal. Most of us should be like, oh, yeah, this is how I live every day. This is, yeah, this is great. That's normal. <clears throat> how did the early church do it? Well, Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together. Every day, they gathered together at the temple and in each other's homes. Every day, they broke bread. Every day. So it was a lifestyle, not just a Sunday morning experience. We need to be a people, a lifestyle, and not just coming here, putting on our Sunday clothes, praising God and walking out the door and living a totally different life. No, that's not how we're going to change a, a culture. That's not how we're going to shift cultures. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. If we want to be transformed into the image of God, it's going to take a lifestyle change. It's going to take a lifestyle change in me and you and all of us. And I, and I can't even imagine, like that song said, with all the faith in the room, what, what the Lord would do. Amen? So how does Southview build for the future? How do we as Southview build for the future? Well, it's going to take saved souls wanting more saved souls. It's going to take freed people freeing people. It's going to take blessed people blessing others. It's going to take church people loving the big C church. And it's going to take local people enhancing local governments. It's going to that's what it's going to take. All of us working together as a family, advancing the kingdom. Yeah. So be devoted, not offended. The reason why we say this is because we believe that the enemy wants the church to be offended. So we're dissent... Dis uh, disseminating something so that we're not together and we are not effective let me just say this to you i remember years ago i was in a relationship this was this was as a young guy and this woman knows this woman as well um and her name was nicole and i thought she was the cutest thing and i was just in love and um <laughs> don't say anything you messed up my story the first one this is my story and I remember being in love with her and we, we, we something started getting a little fishy, right? Something was uh, lining up. And I, I realized that I think some other dude was encroaching upon my territory. So we, 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 I picked her up at her house and we went to the, to the lake and just sat there and talked through some things. And 
it, it kind of ended in there. And I remember dropping her off at her house and I walked into the living room and there was the dude sitting there on the couch next to her father. And he gave me this smirk to this day. I still see it like, I got her, you ain't got her. And I remember walking out and go, what in the world just happened, right? So I say that because I could have easily given up on dating and love. I could have just said, this is how it's all gonna end. Every relationship is like this. I can't trust another woman. But how many know that if I did that, I wouldn't have met this beautiful woman here? Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> you wait for that. That woman would not have given you 10 children. Yeah, I know. You're right. <laughs> no, she wasn't. You're right. <laughs> the point is, is many of us do that with the church. And we have blocked off the very power that the Holy Spirit wants to release in us by putting you in a community. And I wanna say this to you today, and, and listen, I know almost every pastor in the city, and we all say the same thing, we just want you to be somewhere. Like when I get to heaven, God's not gonna go, how many people did you get, how many people did you get? And like it's some kind of sales quota, like okay, well you can have a bigger mansion than this person, because you had more people. God wants people in family. And for some of you, it's the church down the street. For some of you, it's, it's this church. But here's the deal. Every person's church is someone else's third hut. So just find your place. I, listen, I wish I could tell you that this is a perfect church, like I said earlier, but it is not. But here's the good news. God uses imperfect things to do great things. And so if God's called you here, if you know he's called you here, then put your roots down and let's build together. Let's not sit on the shore waiting for things to happen before we get on the boat. Let's get on the boat. Whatever your gift is, we need it. Whatever your personality is, we need it. And guess what? You may get rubbed the wrong way by someone in the parking lot. Or maybe somebody greeting you didn't say hi to you the way that you wanted that Sunday. We have to be able to say, it's okay. I am not easily offended because I know that offense is where the enemy lives. And if we can live in a place of unoffended, we will be able to see the church do great and mighty things. And I don't know if you know about this, but the world is in a heightened sense of offense right now. Just with the next few moments, this past week, we've seen Franklin deliberate on another pride festival in Franklin. This is the third year. The reason why it even came up was because there were certain things that happened that were unacceptable that they had to be called to the carpet on. I sat in one of the meetings a few weeks ago and watched this last one. Pastor friends of mine were up on the microphone. We were sharing about what we believe we want to see Franklin do when it comes to a gay pride festival in our city. But the thing that was mind-blowing to me is as I listened to people get on the microphone, all different people, people that were pastors and churches and people that were in the gay community, I realize how big of a divide we are right now. Now, let me say this to you. There is truth. And truth, we don't get a chance to disseminate what that could be. We don't get to pick it apart. Truth is truth. So what God says about a man and a woman, that's truth. I didn't write it. It's the word of God. And I believe that it is the right way. And that's the way that God blesses people in marriage when it's a man and a woman. I also believe that the enemy has bought, caused people to buy a lie on their sexual identity. But as I'm hearing these people talk, my heart of compassion goes, what would Jesus do? How would he talk to them? We met the, we met the guy that was the, the, the actual promoter of the festival. 
And he came up to us and he said, listen, I'm sorry, you guys don't want us around here. And as soon as he said it, my heart, compassion for this man. And I realized Jesus loves him. So what do we do? Do we sit back and tell everybody they're going to hell? Or do we begin to say, Lord, show us as the church how to love without compromise, how to love with truth. Do you know that you can partner truth and love? How do you do that? Will you be in a community of people that we can walk together with and be able to shine? Because some of you in this room are called to go to a festival like that and actually love on those people. Some of you, you were with us. We went to Bonnaroo. We did the very same thing. We loved on all those young people at Bonnaroo. You remember that? Crazy people coming in the tent proclaiming Jesus. We had a booth that said spiritual readings because that's how they would relate to it. Really, it was prophetic words. People came in, kids start weeping. How did you know that about my life? Oh, that's because God loves you. We had a booth that said Father's blessings. People came, kids getting blessed by men in their 60s and 70s, just blessing them because these kids never had a father in their life. These are practical things that we can do as the church. But the church, because we're so hurt, wounded, broken, looking for our community, backing away, I'll never trust another church again, the enemy just sits back and goes, you've lost your power. If anything, we need you more than ever. So find your place. Find your place. Give you a little snapshot into what God's doing in this region. He's uniting churches together, regardless of our denomination, regardless of our ethnicity, and regardless of what we believe theologically. Because if we can believe on the core that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I can partner with you to a degree. Let's do this. And so what God is doing in this city is he's uniting the church because that is the prayer that Jesus is praying right now. In John 17, it says, make them one as you and I are one. What does that mean? We have to learn to get along with one another. So here's what I want to do. Because I know there's people in this room, you legitimately have been hurt by people in the church. Some of you have been hurt by pastors, leaders. Somebody said something from the stage and, and you're like, man, that, and, and it's never been able to get over it. I want to do something today. Just with every eye closed, this is what I want to do as we land this today. These next few weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. But if you know anything about spiritual gifts, they were given for the betterment of the body. So if you've been given a spiritual gift, the, the functionality of it is in the place of the church. So in order for it to function in all its glory, you have to be cemented into a body. So we have to start here first. So if you're here today and you've been hurt by church and it's legitimately, something's happened and it's caused you to push people at arm's length, I'm going to ask you right now, between you and the Lord, to let them go and say, I forgive them. I, leave, I forgive them. Lord, give me the ability to forgive. We need you. We need you. It may not be a perfect community. You're not going to find one, but I'll tell you this. God puts you in the right one. And so today, right now, if somebody's face pops up in your mind or you hear somebody's name all of a sudden, you're like, I didn't even know. That's the Holy Spirit prompting you. Maybe you need to forgive a whole church. Maybe it's a whole denomination. Maybe it's a whole movement. I just got to forgive the church in general. I've just been hurt. Whatever it is, let it go today. Let it go. And God, today, we say not only do we forgive them, but now we're going to advance the kingdom. We're going to step in where we stepped out before, and we are going to see a work and a revival like never before. I'm telling you, 
this is the time and this is the hour God is going to use the church in the most glorious way and I want you to be part of it. So today, we thank you that everything you promised us, you will fulfill and we say yes to even right now saying, Lord, we will stand in our part. We will forgive and we will be the church. Can you imagine with all the faith in this room what the Lord can do? Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.